Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello, everybody. Another tennis podcast for you. One we weren't planning to bring you a couple of days ago, but, you know, we just can't get enough of this. And there's so much going on. And yes, OK, there's no tennis, but there's stuff to talk about. And we've got an interview with John Millman for you. So we'll have that later. But Catherine is here. Hello, Catherine. Hello, David. Hello, Matt. Hello, David. And the reason we're convening all together now, and not just having the John Millman interview, which had been the original plan until about four hours ago, uh, is that about 12.28pm today, Roger Federer tweeted. And what he tweeted was, just wondering, am I the only one thinking that now is the time for men and women's tennis to be united and come together as one? At which point, Catherine and I wondered whether this was a teaser to a bit of content that might be coming out uh, uh, between the two tours because they've been producing quite a lot of that and then I thought it can't, it can't be that it, can't, it could be because I mean we've had Instagram lives galore uh, but moments later he said I am picturing a merger between the WTA and the ATP I'm not talking about merging competition on the court but merging the two governing bodies the ATP and the WTA that oversee the men's and women's professional tours it's too confusing for the fans when there are different ranking systems, different logos, different websites, different tournament categories. It probably should have happened a long time ago, but maybe now is really the time. These are tough times in every sport, and we can come out of this with two weakened bodies or one stronger body. Now, when you hear that, when you read that out loud, that is pretty strong stuff, Catherine. And and I have to, I mean, okay, we've been moving towards that in terms of little bits of uh, combined content under a brand of Tennis United. And and we've had a heard an interview that has been put our way by the ATP of their new, C, their new chairman, Andrea Gaudenzi, talking about more and more collaboration. But for Roger Federer to come out, apparently unsolicited, and just say it's time to merge the tours, that was bombshell stuff really wasn't it behold this novel and exciting idea um yeah it was pretty bombshell stuff i mean <laughs> look obviously it's a good idea obviously you know you read you the way you read out those tweets there it sounds entirely sensible great let's do it 
Um, I'm trying not to be arsy and sniffy about certain elements of the story and the way it's developing and being told you know the fact that it's all happening on twitter i'm trying to be a bit socially distanced from tennis twitter i say that with heavy air quotes because it makes me shudder a little bit uh but it can be a bit of a toxic place and i'm trying to not be embroiled in it but this whole story has dropped exclusively on tennis twitter so i've sort of had to be reeled back in um the sort of arms race to claim claim territory and claim claim that you know this was their idea or this is the first time anyone's had this idea. The fact that, you know, everyone's suddenly sitting up and taking notice of the strive for equality when a man shouts about it. All of those things, I there is a part of me that wants to be arsy about. We can <laughs> and tell. And the, the arsy part of me um, often wins. But I'm going to try and um, be utilitarian about it and think, look, if if this is how the right thing ends up happening then then fine you know and i'm i'm going to echo do some foreshadowing echoing into something that john millman's going to say in relation to a different issue um later in the pod he's talking um about the distribution of wealth and prize money uh, among top level players which is now suddenly a, a a burning topic or among players in general. Um, and he says, look, I can't believe it's taken a pandemic for for this to be taken seriously and for the real powers that be to consider addressing it. Well, I feel exactly that way about the, the unification of uh, the governing bodies. But hey, it took, I mean, there's countless examples, aren't there? But it took World War Two for the NHS to happen, didn't it? So if the ends justify the means, then... Great. I'm going to suppress for once my arsy side. I, I slightly want to be able to read out Billie Jean King's response on Twitter to Roger Federer in the act, in the sort of tone of voice that you began that that line yourself. Because what she actually says is, "I agree, and have been saying so since the early 1970s." She, I, mean, I, I reckon she didn't say it like that, but I kind of wish she had. Uh, and, and, and then she goes on to say, One voice, women and men together, has long been my vision for tennis. The WTA on its own was always plan B. I'm glad we are on the same page. Let's make it happen. Hashtag one voice is what uh, Billie Jean King replied with. Simona Halep, Petra Gavitova, Garbina Magarutha all tweeted support for what Roger Federer had had to say. And then Rafael Nadal tweeted, Hey Roger Federer, as you know per our discussions, I completely agree that it would be great to get out of this world crisis with the union of men's and women's tennis in only one organisation. Which, yeah, suddenly makes all of this seem quite premeditated between the two of them, or maybe more than two of them. We haven't heard anything, I should say, on this subject from Novak Djokovic, the president of the ATP Players Council at this point. But it doesn't feel like this is just some musing that Roger Federer has just done while he's bored in lockdown as such. Uh, it sounds as though it's been given quite a bit of thought. He's had this chat. Um, so we've been re reminded of this 
press conference that Rafael Nadal was involved in in 2019 at the Australian Open when he responded to questions about whether he thought there should be a combined organisation between the WTA and the ATP with just total and utter misunderstanding as though he doesn't didn't understand really why that would be a good idea why we should talk about that why why that should be on the agenda um and so this is a very very different tone now obviously we weren't in the middle of a global pandemic at that point the world looked very different it may it may well be that people who had previously never given a second thought to a combined organization have suddenly thought actually that that's the way out of this or that's a good idea and got to be room for that but it's it's pretty stark isn't it the difference in tone yeah i mean i mean elements of nadal's tweet genuinely made me laugh out loud first of all any suggestion that um as great as his english is uh, Spanish is a first language. Nadal composed "Hey" at Roger Federer, as you know, per our discussions. I mean, absolutely no way is that tweet composed by Rafael Nadal himself, as per. Have you ever seen his tweet to Anna Ivanovic? On no. I think when Anna Ivanovic joined Twitter, he said. Um, I look forward to our discussions on this means of communication. <laughs> back in, a, I don't know when it was, back in the early days of Twitter, it was really sort of formal and not like a tweet. Anyway, yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of that one. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, that's not anything groundbreaking, is it, that he didn't necessarily compose it himself. And if I was tweeting in a second language, I would probably uh, ask for some... Uh, assistance as well with composing that tweet so i'm not having a pop about that um but the 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 sort of the attempt to say oh this this was my idea too i this came from a discussion that we both had uh i i was in on this too um that made me laugh um because yeah i i mean he he kind of gets off lightly on it, from me included, because I, I I think I kind of write him off as somebody that's just not not hugely engaged with the with the wider issues in tennis, and and he kind of most of the time brushes off interrogation about them as sort of oh you'll have to ask other people that are that are better informed, um, and and have have. Um, more stake in it than than me. I'm not the best person to speak to. That that clip that's going around on Twitter from the, uh, last year's Australian Open is is a good example of that. Um, but the fact is, he he hasn't been supportive of equality um, in uh, in women's tennis. He's had a very much market forces based um, approach to to prize money and the tours, etc. So. Yeah, this is, it's a bombshell. Are we saying really, therefore, most likely that this is another market forces response? I sudden realisation that the market is belly up because of the pandemic and therefore everybody would be better off just coming in together. Or has it just paused everybody to realise the situation was wrong all along? And it's only now that that's... That's come to light. I mean, I don't know the answer to that, but but those are the two possibilities, I would imagine. Well, I think it does seem that not just on this issue, but also what John Millman was saying about how 
people are suddenly thinking about um, the lower rank players, that people, now that there has been this pause, people are thinking big picture, whereas normally they are very much on the straight and narrow and just thinking of the next event. So I think we have to... I think that is a legitimate thing that happens. We're probably thinking a bit more big picture. I think that's normal that people are using this time to think in that way. Um, and that's a good thing. I think we can be frustrated that it hasn't happened earlier, but we should also be pleased that it is happening now. Um, I don't think those two um, are not compatible. I think you know those two feelings can go together. I think the thing with me is I would just... <laughs> want a little bit of caution based on Billie Jean King's tweets actually the fact that this was her original idea and it didn't it didn't happen for a reason and that reason was that the men at the time didn't want it so the WTA went their own way um and I just think we should probably have a bit of caution about whether that could happen again I think one of the good things about the WTA being separate is there is a body looking out for women in the sport whereas if you were to combine them and I I do think the positives outweigh the negatives but if you combine them would there be uh, the possibility that the men would get the better court assignments or things like that on the argument of market forces even though we don't believe that argument, but I could see people falling into that trap potentially if there's not a body looking out for the women. So I would I would really hope that it is a merger. I like that word that Federer used rather than a kind of ATP takeover of the WTA. I think that the, the, the importance is a merger and that there's that there's genuine gender equity within it. Mm. Should say um, that. In response to this uh, succession of tweets by Federer and the reaction from from fellow players, some of our colleagues have been tweeting about it. I know Mike Dixon of the Mail was saying that it is effectively a noble gesture, but how many of the men further down that aren't as wealthy as Federer and Nadal, um, how many of them are going to actually back this line of, uh, of direction up? Russell Fuller has reported from the BBC that preliminary discussions have taken place between the two tours about greater collaboration in certain areas and it was noticeable that the communications boss of the ATP Simon Higson actually tweeted the link to the Andrea Gaudenzi interview in which he described as a no-brainer that the two associations need to work more closely together although there was no suggestion of the actual word merger. I've asked Simon for clarification on that whether there is any intention for the two to merge i haven't had a response as of yet i mean that that was only in the last couple of hours that i've sent that off we we have asked the wta as well for comment i've i've been asking to see if we can get an interview with their boss steve simon which i'll continue to try to do um but yeah how realistic is it that's the the big question because yes we're seeing things like yesterday where we where we actually had an announcement of this player relief fund which had a press release with the logos of the ATP the ITF the WTA and all four grand slams at the top of which is very very unusual pretty unprecedented for what is an unprecedented time as we know and they are all going to pitch into this relief fund to try to raise some money for the lower-ranked players who who they're going to have more difficulty weathering this situation. 
But what about the future? How realistic is it? That would be my question. I mean, how it's all well and good saying you want to do it, but it's it's a heck of a big thing to actually go out and, and make this work somehow. I, I think it's entirely realistic and achievable if the will is there and if the right motivations are there. I, I think it's, you know, obviously sort of... Um, operationally and legally and all of sort of those wheels that churn behind the scenes there would be a lot required but I don't I, I think it's extremely realistic if if the genuine will is there but that's and, my point you know we, we had well, well exactly we had Novak Djokovic writing that letter to the players suggesting the the fund that they put together now since then the actual governing bodies have come together and announced their own one, which they intend to try to raise $6 million. And Chris Clary from the New York Times was reporting on that. And there was a line in his piece which says that the proposal from Djokovic and the player council has not been embraced and by the rest of the players. <clears throat> the structure of it, of all the top 100 raising money for the 250s to the 750 ranked players. So anything that the actual players do on top of what the federations have put together would be voluntary. And I think that that gives you an idea of the sort of opposition that is faced. It's one thing, the very big names, the top players coming together and saying, hey, why don't we do this? When you actually get into the nitty gritty of it is when they run into roadblocks. And I wonder how much backing they need to have from all of the the parts of both the tournaments and the players in order to get something like this off the ground. It's going to be very interesting. And just thinking about it economically, if the if the economic argument that the players give is is one to, to not have some kind of merger, it would be the men's players ranked, I don't know, 50 downwards perhaps, who would probably oppose it on those grounds. Because as we know currently, the men's players ranked in that region are doing a lot better economically than women's players because even combined events, a lot of them, not the slams, but a lot of the others do pay the men more than the women, certainly on the ATP and WTA tour. We see that. So there probably is going to be a resistance from a lot of the male players in that region, unfortunately, as as I think Mike Dixon was alluding to with his tweet. Yeah, and it's it's pretty much impossible to see this actually progressing as much as Federer and Nadal are the most um, sort of publicity wise um, the most powerful voices in in the men's side of the sport it it's hard to see it the idea progressing without the support of Novak Djokovic not just because he's uh, the world number one but because he is the the leader of the ATP Players Council, and they it, surely any move in this direction would, would require their consent. And I've no idea what Novak Djokovic thinks about this. He may be in full support. I genuinely don't know, but it is it is notable that pretty much everybody of, of note is is weighing in on this on on Twitter um, and sitting up and taking notice. And he he's tweeted today about. World Earth Day or something um, co completely unrelated, um, and it's hard to, to believe, given how politically engaged he is, that this all is passing him by. He will know this is all happening, 
um, and he is, yeah, um, tweeting about something else entirely. So that's a, a note of concern. And he's had his own situation publicly to deal with off the back of one of his Facebook lives. We, we mentioned to you a couple of days ago that he had been quoted via translation from his Facebook live with fellow Serbian athletes talking about his opposition to a vaccine, a required vaccine for COVID-19 in order to be able to travel. And we were, I, I, I didn't want to discuss that at that particular point until we'd heard more from him to, to actually get some clarity that that is exactly what he had said. Well, we've since had via Chris Clary a statement issued by Novak Djokovic, who said, personally, I am opposed to the vaccination against COVID-19 in order to be able to travel. But if it becomes compulsory, I'll have to make a decision whether to do it or not. This is my current feeling. I don't know if it will change, but it really influences my profession. Many tennis players, athletes have reached out to me asking what my opinion is on this whole situation. I've expressed my views because I have the right to, and I also feel responsible to highlight certain essential topics that are concerning the tennis world. To be honest, just like the rest of the world, I'm a bit confused. Despite having access to information and resources, I am left in doubt about what could be the best thing to do. My job requires a lot of travel. Some are saying that for us who travel, we would have to take the vaccine that is yet to be developed. Therefore, I would like to repeat and point out that at this moment, we do not have adequate information. We don't know if there will be new measures, which of them will be taken. Will we have a choice to decide on our own what to do or not with the vaccine? I'd like to know more details about the process before making the right decisions. I'm curious about well-being and I'm going to spend the whole lifetime learning about the body and how we can empower our metabolism to be in the best shape to defend against imposters like COVID-19. My fullest respect and gratitude goes to all the noble and compassionate medical people who are giving support to the ones that need it the most. I am no expert, but I do want to have an option to choose what's best for my body. I'm keeping an open mind and I'll continue to research on this topic because it is important and it will affect all of us. So that's what Novak Djokovic had to say in response to the the conversation about his initial comments. He's not backing down, really, is he, from his original notion that he is basically opposed to vaccination uh, or at least required vaccination to travel, which is... It has significance in the current environment, the global environment that we're in. And I am surprised really that he's got himself involved in this. And, and I, I think it's probably, probably a mistake really to have started talking about this in the first place. Yeah, I mean, as you say, there's a slight distinction between opposition to the vaccine and opposition to a required vaccine in order to do your job. I can I can see that there might be sort of a libertarian civil liberties type argument um, against the the requirement of the vaccine, um, but the the stuff at the end of that statement about the the empowerment of our bodies. Um, suggests that it's more of a philosophical opposition, which uh, I find extremely reckless, um, frankly. I mean, it ceases to be a personal opinion, really, when you start having start having contact with other people. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, 
every, every <laughs> it's only due to vaccinations that we're not all dying of cholera right now or TB or I mean it's just an anti-vac um, rhetoric is uh, is proven to be bollocks um, and I don't I don't have an awful lot of time for it, and I think it's pretty, pretty reckless for people of note to be, um, to be expounding it. Really, um, and I, it does surprise me that he's doing that. As I say, if it's if it's an opposition to the requirement of it, I can see, I can, I can um, lend that a bit more sympathy because um, there is a sort of liberty type argument there as much as i i wouldn't personally have an issue with it but it takes mean, me back to the interview simon briggs did with him for the telegraph which we we played to you here on the podcast um probably a year and a half two years ago when he was talking about his his reluctance to have surgery for his elbow because he 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 believed in and he wanted to prove that his body could heal itself and he he put that elbow surgery off for some time before ending up having it and well we know what happened after that he it sorted his elbow out and he went on to dominate the tennis world again just a note as well from john wertheim in his sports illustrated mailbag which he does every week he he's got two points one after another where he highlights novak Djokovic's letter to the players and uh, that had been ratified by Roger and Raffrey says to fellow players about the establishment of a relief fund, and he and he really hailed that. Did John said pretty damn extraordinary that they've that they wanted to do that in the first place, and he said and from winners to errors, Novak Djokovic and his apparent anti-vax stand stance was disturbing. I'm we try to accommodate a diversity of view, but I have trouble with open-mindedness of this issue. Anti-vax is 21st century witchcraft. John writes, it's deeply problematic, it's deeply selfish, it's deeply at odds with, you know, facts and science. Jump to the end for an informed reader uh, view of it, and and he actually quotes um, somebody who works in the medical world and uh, and and is a physician and and has seen firsthand the the devastating effects of COVID nineteen, um, and is is paying. Novak's words, pretty short shrift, um, or, or the stance of anybody along those lines. So, yeah, maybe he will think again. Uh, I, I sort of hope he will. Um, but uh, it must have been uh, quite, a, quite a few days um, in his world. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. 
and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, that's pretty much the latest of the last few days. There's been plenty going on. Um, (laughs) Why don't we... Tennis never really stops, does it? No. If you told us at the start of the year that we'd be doing emergency podcasts about anti-vax stances and, I don't know, it's just we are are through the looking glass, aren't we? We are. So when I got up this morning, my plan was to call John Millman before all this started (laughs) and and call him is what I did. And the reason was because uh, it just felt like there was loads to talk about uh, with John, so I gave him a call. John, how are you doing in these these strange old times? Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. It is uh, quite different to to what we're used to, what we're accustomed to. But uh, things here in Australia, look, the, the situation um, has probably gone as 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 good as it can be. Uh, Australia seems at the moment, touch wood, to have um, you know stopped stopped this um, the corona for now and and. Um, just getting used to a different pace of life, really. Yeah, I mean, a different pace of life. And at the same time, I mean, everybody's affected to a lesser or greater extent. Obviously, some people very gravely and economically as well. But what about for a tennis player? Oh, look, uh, uh, it's a tricky time, isn't it? Because we have this one tour, the ATP tour. Uh, obviously, that that's come to a grinding halt. And I think is 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 just getting that motivation uh, and knowing when we're going to kick off again because, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. You hear a lot of different things, different speculation at times as to as to when that will be. But the, the truth is, I don't think anyone really knows. Uh, I'm of the opinion, like a couple of others, that we probably can't resume the ATP Tour until, until the, you know, the world sees a, a, a defeat of this virus, really. Um, while it's still present, I'm not too sure if uh, we can do too much international travel. Yeah, because, and I suppose you talked about motivation there. You're you're somebody who's known for training very hard, working out, getting ready, leaving no stone unturned. How how are you handling the day-to-day in that regard? Look, unfortunately for myself, I've had a little bit of an experience of, of sitting on the sidelines for extended period of times. So I've had uh, three quite significant surgeries, probably the second one, the shoulder one, that saw me out of action for for probably about thirteen months until I felt like uh, I was in a position to to properly compete again. So I've had a bit of experience of of sitting on the sidelines, but um, it is difficult. The older you get, the I believe the harder it is. Um, you know, you've got other things going on in your life, that's for sure. Other priorities also, um, and and tennis. You know, as times progressed, it's it's become a job. It's it's what pays the bills. 
Um, so it is difficult, but I've found setting routines and, and um, setting goals each day has really helped me. I'm someone that that wants to keep improving, and I'm trying to find um, little ways to, to do that. So are you still training every day now? I mean, I'm, uh, and does that involve a tennis racket and a ball? Look, in Australia, obviously, I'm doing a lot of off-court work. I've got a bit of a home gym set up. I've got a watt bike here that I'm, I'm logged into just about every app under the sun, including Zwift's, where I get my uh, competitive juices flowing with a bit of indoor virtual racing. Um, in Australia, the state-to-state has uh, different laws, different protocols to, to tackle um, the coronavirus and to try to flatten that curve, as, as they've reiterated on, on multiple occasions. Whilst in, in, in Queensland, which is where I'm from, I'm from Brisbane, um, we are meant to, well, we're not meant to um, public courts, but private courts, you're still allowed to, um, so long as that person's household has no more than two visitors. So um, I have been able to get on court at times. I've been uh, experienced some extremely generous families here in, in Queensland, some that I didn't even know before. Um, who have you know opened up their their courts? I should say not their doors, but their courts um, to allow me to to jump on and and um, just keep the eye in. I'm probably just doing enough to keep the eye in right now. Yeah, you, you mentioned the time you've spent on the sidelines over the years and the financial implications for that. And, and it's it's one of the reasons I, and and I sort of wanted to speak to you this week. I, I've been hoping to speak to you for for a little while, um, but. Give us an idea of of what happened to you a few years ago, first of all, because I I recall speaking to you, I think, at the 2016 Wimbledon when you were about to play Andy Murray. And you you would have been 26, 27 years old at the time. And you you basically, you weren't that far away from having to give up the sport, were you? Yeah, you're spot on there. I had quite significant um, shoulder surgery at the end of 2014. Uh, Before that, I was... About one thirty in the world, I didn't really have too much to defend. I was actually going to get a wild card and be main drawer of the French Open, which I was extremely excited about. But I actually um, got some scans and it showed that I had a, a torn labrum, a slap tear. So that's, that requires quite a significant surgery. So I actually rescinded the wild card. A guy called Nick Kyrgios ended up getting his chance and, and went on to, to uh, create some waves in men's tennis back when he was a junior. And um, I started the, the long process of, of surgery and then the recovery process. I was working in the city, actually, um, getting dressed up in a suit and tie, um, just getting some experience of a change of scenery. But um, there were times when I didn't know if I wanted to, to get back into it. And, and there were times also where it was difficult financially to do so. Probably one make or break trip. I'd managed to get through two tournaments finally in Korea Futures events when the US Open was on in 2015. Um, and I managed to, to get through those two. And I remember going to America to play three challenges. Uh, one in Napa Valley, the next in Sacramento, and the third to, to finish off the Californian swing was in Tiburon. And I remember to this day having $6,000 in the bank account and uh, if I didn't get any results, then, then that was uh, all she wrote. I was, um, uh, yeah, I was just about broke to be honest with you. So uh, I was lucky to get results then and it kind of um, actually gave me a lot of momentum heading into the back of that year and, and luckily enough, the next year I was top 100. So I've lived and breathed it and, and therefore I feel like at, at times um, – uh, I can speak with um, with a bit of purpose um, on the subject. 
And what do you, and we've heard a lot over the last week or so about what tennis can do, what tennis needs to do. We we did a a podcast a couple of weeks ago saying what happens when tennis stops and we got some insight into the finances in that and we we heard from the British Tennis Federation the the LTA they were putting into to place a, a plan to support their players um a, a financial package now we've had first of all we understand Novak Djokovic is the head of the ATP player council wrote to the players to try to encourage uh, a a contribution scheme to support players ranked 250 in the world to 700 in the world and yesterday the ATP WTA and all the four slams and the ITF put out a release saying that they were producing a fund between them details to follow in order to support players that we believe are ranked 100 to 400 um what what do you think of what you've heard what do you think should be happening I copped a little bit of criticism on a, on a tweet I did after hearing the the player's proposal, which I think had the, the right intentions at heart. And in no way was I, um, you know, signaling out someone like a Novak who's, you know, put his head down and, and thought up of ways to help people. So I think it gets a, lot, a little bit lost on social media where you're coming from. But my biggest, um, I guess I could say gripe with the whole issue um, is that it really, in my opinion, it's really taken a, a pandemic, a global pandemic, to notice that these players are struggling. And this isn't new. Um, just because there's a pandemic right now, um, this problem has been relevant for many, many years. Uh, you know, throughout my career, when I was making my way up through the tour, you're playing for, for literally $100 checks. Uh, and and life's tough, you know. For for some people, they're they're sleeping on floors, they're they're do, they're not eating properly, um, and they literally have to win matches to get a, a plane ticket out of there. So uh, that's probably my biggest gripe is that I don't think we've properly addressed it in the many many years that have gone by. Yeah, we've done little things. We've um, no longer have ten thousand dollar futures. We have fifteen thousand dollar futures. But when you work out the nuts and bolts of that. It equates to 100, 200 bucks a week, which in my opinion uh, isn't enough. I, I believe at times, and I'm, I'm part of the problem because when I made it to the top 100, I, I appreciated, to be honest with you, the prize money increases that we have. So, you know, I'm part of the problem and I'll put my hand up and, and definitely admit that. Um, and the way I justified in my head is, well, I had to go through that big grind and and I lived it pretty rough for, for a fairly long time, and, and now I'm making the rewards for getting there. But it's probably the wrong way to look at it, and, and I'll be the first to, to admit that. Uh, I just feel as if a more concerted effort should have been made many years ago. Uh, I understand um, that you know the top players are the ones that bring in the majority of the money, and I, I totally understand that. But to make our, our sport viable and to, and to make it attractive um, – it is the world game. It's played all over the world and there's only one tour really. So I just feel as if we had more opportunities in the past um, to help out uh, more players than what we have done. So what now? What would you like to see done now? Oh, look, I'm not the... Uh, look, I'm, I'm an everyday person and I don't have all the answers, but... I definitely would like to see more of a uh, of a concerted effort and 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 um, more money be invested into the lower to the, the lower tools, the futures and challenges. Uh, it can't all be done, um, but I want I would like to see that the 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 main intention, the main focus moving forward. Uh, 
I, uh, ideally, how I would like it is a complete restructure, but um, that won't happen. But like golf, uh, how they have multiple tours on multiple fronts going at once and just uh, really expanding the opportunities for players. Look, that's probably um, a pipe dream, but um, you know, it's something that, that I've heard people mention in the past and it's something that I um, find quite uh, inviting. Mm. You've, you've given an insight into the finances, the situation you found yourself with that $6,000 in the bank account. How, how well do you have to do in tennis in your experience? What was the tipping point for you suddenly to be able to at least realize, oh, I'm making a living now. I can, I, this is viable. I, I, I can see the way forward. What, what sort of ranking did you have to be at? Oh, look, I think the, the target was always that top 100. That was something that that you saw um, an opportunity there because that means you'd be playing main draws of, of Grand Slams and you could kind of factor that in for the, for the year that, that if you did that, uh, you would create, you know, easier circumstances for yourself. But outside of that, it, it drops off very steeply in my opinion, uh, especially for the level of tennis player that exists outside that top 100. Mm. And, and when you, the thing is, I suppose the argument is once you can get in, as you say, to the top 100, you get exposed to those first round prize money checks at the Grand Slams. And those are now considerable. Those have risen a lot. But outside of that, it's, it's a, a very different story. Yeah, and, 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 and that's right. And, and it's kind of a bit of a catch-22, isn't it? Because, um, you know, the, you increase money in these earlier rounds, which is fantastic. And I've definitely been a beneficiary of that. Uh, I'm one of the first people to put up my hand. But on the flip side, I just feel as if it had to be more of a focus on how we can get more players making money and, and significant money. I know that people will say, well, look, we, we provided more hospitality for challenger events. You know, that became compulsory. But I still feel as if we're, we're quite um, short on where we need to be. Not to mention the fact that one of the the problems in our game is is um, betting and match fixing. That some of these guys are desperate. You know, they're not making any money. They're they're living it extremely rough, to, rough, and therefore they get tempted to make a, a poor decision. I, I I can't help but feel if um, there was more for them to lose, uh, they wouldn't be uh, venturing down that dark path. Mm. Let's talk about some some happier thoughts, John, and specifically your tennis, because as you say, you've made some some huge strides over the last couple of years. And I think when anybody mentions your name, just in conversation, they'll think back to your matches with Roger Federer, because because they're extraordinary, really, that the I think three out of the four matches you played against him have been very close. You won one of them at the US Open. You very nearly won another one at the Australian Open this year. Let, just Let's just go back to that US Open match, if we may. What what are your memories of that? Why, How and why did that go your way that night? Oh, look, going into the match, I, I uh, you know, that was a, a round 16 match. So I'd already won uh, three matches before that. So I always feel pretty good when you runs on the ball going into a big match like that. I know some people um, will say when you get a bad draw, you, you draw one of the big guys first round and they go, oh, well, time to get them. But they don't really lose first rounds too, too often. I'd prefer to go in there with a few runs on the board and, and um, with confidence underneath the belt. So I felt pretty good going into that match. The conditions were 
really suiting me that uh, it was quite heavy. It was hot. It was humid. Even at night, it probably um, the humidity went up, went up through the roof. Not too dissimilar to, to what I'm used to here in Brisbane. Um, and, and I went on the court doing what I always do. I, I don't play anyone's reputation. Uh, you start off at zero all. I've always had that opinion. Uh, I don't want to put anyone on a pedestal and, and lose the match before I've even started. And and um, Roger came out playing amazing tennis. He was really in control, and I was in a bit of trouble down a set. And I think he might have even served for the second set. But I hung in and ma- managed to to turn it into a, a physical affair. And towards the end, I started playing some some really great tennis. I was just so relieved, probably more so than anything, that I had put myself in a to to create a bit of a story and a and a bit of an upset. It was a it was a special night and and one that I definitely. Um, well, I remember some parts of it. Some parts I don't really remember much at all, but um, I just enjoyed competing. That's why I fell in love with tennis. I love the competition. I love um, being able to look at myself in the mirror at the day and say that I gave it absolutely everything, and that's what I've kind of built my brand on. You have. I remember commentating on that match and the way it turned mid-match. And I just wonder from your perspective, though, there were, there were little tell signs that that I felt I could see looking on the TV screen, looking close up at Federer late on in that match. But were there, were there tells for you on the court that actually I think I'm getting to him or he might be struggling a bit here? Oh, definitely. I think as the match progressed, um, my level probably increased and I thought perhaps he threw in a couple of double faults and his serve's normally quite reliable. Um, look, definitely... I'm f- fully aware that Roger wasn't at his best um, during the during the course of that match, and 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 that's why you go on there and you don't play anyone's reputation. You don't know how they're feeling throughout the match. Uh, they're not always going to have great days, so I, I, I keep things um, pretty level headed and, and in perspective. Uh, but I mean, you give yourself a chance that way, don't you? And um, and and that's how I've always been brought up to to give yourself every chance, and and that's what I did. And you got very close to him at the Australian Open as well. How how do you reflect on that now? Oh, look, again, um, in that match, I was actually quite calm. Um, I thought that he was playing some really good tennis to go up two sets to one. Uh, I thought that he had that momentum going into that fourth set, and I, and I was really proud of my efforts to kind of turn that on its head. I think I... I took the fourth, and I might have even been up 2-1 in the fifth. Uh, you're a long way from the finish line. It was actually pretty tough to get any type of easy holds that night. Um, conditions weren't playing overly quick, uh, especially on those show courts at the Australian Open. Uh, they seem to play a lot slower still than the outside courts, even with the change of surface. Um, obviously, it got to that fifth set tiebreaker, the match tiebreaker, which is you know, a different format, one that I hadn't done before. And to get to, into a leading position there, it's really good tennis. I think I hit maybe three passing shots and, and just played some great tennis. So um, Roger, obviously being the champion that he is, um, doesn't give you anything and he managed to, to get the win. It hurt. There's no doubt about that. Um, I tore my calf in that match. I, I left absolutely everything out there, but it hurt, and there's there's no uh, and that's sport. Sometimes it can be really difficult. And what I could do is is I I could say again that that I left it all out there. I I did everything I could to to try to get another win. Uh, it would have been really special to do so, you know, in my home country. But I couldn't quite get there. 
had one or two audio problems around about here in the interview. Um, So let's just fast forward to a little bit later on when I asked John how tennis is going to get back up and running, how important a vaccine is in his view in terms of travel, bearing in mind the comments made by Novak Djokovic over the last couple of days, and what his thoughts on the subject were. Tennis is a global game and players come from from all over until the whole world that has a tennis federation uh, and their players can travel. I, I don't believe that the tour can, can can go on. So I'm thinking it's going to be an indefinite period of time. Uh, I'm definitely not of the opinion that the American swing will go ahead. Uh, and then after that, we start getting towards the end of the year. So uh, look, I feel as if we could be on the sidelines for a while. Um, if a vaccine came, I'd be... Uh, the first in the queue of tennis players probably to be getting one. Uh, I think it's pretty black and white because I don't think that we can start until everyone has the same opportunity to get to a tournament. Yeah, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because uh, we've we've heard of a couple of the the exhibition options that are being uh, muted. I know Patrick Moratoglu's planning one in France. Uh, there's talk about perhaps one in, in Britain. And I guess something may pop up in, in Australia as well. And we, we might be playing domestic tennis for a little while. Yeah, look, and, and I think there's two things with that. I have no problem, first of all, of of countries that that can do it in a safe way and, and, and have exhibition matches where players are um, earning a living. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Also, I feel as if, especially domestically here in Australia, where tennis is really kind of only really on the forefront of people's minds for one month a year, in my opinion, that month of January where it culminates in the Australian Open. So I feel like it's a, actually a pretty good opportunity to, to grow the game domestically. And, um, you know, I'm sure... Tennis Australia are putting their minds together as to how uh, and what the best way is to do that. But um, look, I, th- I think you, you've always got to try to find the silver linings. Number one is that it's just a game. And uh, I think uh, this has shown us that uh, there's plenty more important things than, than sport, you know, uh, and the health and safety of friends and family and loved ones are a hell of a lot more important than what we do as a job. Um, and, uh, and, and number two, I think, we, we have to realise now when we spend a bit of time away from the sport how lucky we are to do what we do. I think we take it for granted sometimes when we just go day to day and, and week to week on the and time spent away. I think uh, we're all missing it, both both fans and players alike. And, and uh, I think uh, it's really put things into perspective and at the same time it's, it's allowed us to, uh, to really appreciate just how lucky we are. Well, John, I think uh, everybody listening to that will be quite uplifted. Your your attitude is is something that that we we've talked about a lot on this show over the years. Uh, I just wonder, do you do you ever go on a boat? Do you ever do you ever sail? Are you a sailor? A boat? Yeah. I'm I'm not much of a sailor, mate. I'm not. Um, I'm not very. I've found out, to be honest with you, I found out time away from tennis that I'm not too good at most things. And um, I think and I think sailing um, would be one of those things I'm not too good at. I, I thought I could play a bit of golf, and the more more golf I've played, the worse I've got. So, <laughs> the, the reason I asked that question, John, is my, my co-host, Catherine, uh, her father is, uh, is a keen sailor and says there are certain players that he would happily have on the boat with him. And uh, and he thinks that you would be one of them because you'd be you'd be the sort of character that would fit in, <laughs> which I think is there can be no greater compliment. 
I would, I would love to do it. You know, we have um, one of our famous races is the Sydney to Hobart yacht race um, that we have each year. And um, every now and again, you know, they get sporting identities or, or whatnot. And it's something that I think is one of the, the really um, cool achievements that you can have. So, look, I'd, I'd, I'd love to get on board. Um, I'll have to do a bit of research as to um, what ends what. I know there's a few uh, different, different words. Um, and terminologies that I'd have to, to wrap my head around. Uh, it might take me a while, but um, you know, when, when I put my mind to it, I like to think that I give it 110%. Uh, I have no doubt. Actually, ju- just settle an argument for us. We were also discussing what sort of um, shipmate Nick Kyrgios would end up being. Uh, you've been his teammate. Uh, what's he like? Oh, Nick, look, I think Nick gets a bit of a heart... Um, Bit of a hard time at times because he is such an enigma. He's he's a character on court. You know, he's a whole bunch of superlatives. But you know, off the court, he's, he is a team player and he does so much work behind the scenes that I think people don't see. Look, Nick's a, a really good person to be around. Um, he's a lot of fun. Uh, we were on a boat actually in Brisbane, and he actually didn't enjoy it a whole lot. Uh, but, <laughs> but he. I think he was just kind of stirring me up because we're going down the Brisbane River or the Brown Snake, as we call it. I think he was trying to stir me up a little bit. But look, he's he's actually a lot of fun to be around. Um, I think maybe perhaps um, he'd leave me to do the heavy lifting on the boat if there <laughs> is heavy lifting. But uh, spirits would always be in in uh, in, in good mood because he's um, not only can he can he uh, you know give other a bit of stick, but he can take it also. That's great. John, uh, it's lovely to talk to you. Thanks thanks ever so much for joining us. Um, what can you tell us about your podcast? When's that, when's that coming out? Look, uh, my first actually was with uh, Australian player Alex Dimonor, who's um, another one of my Davis Cup teammates who I would also love to have on a boat. I didn't ask him that question, but um, I might have to do a little bit of editing. But look, it'll probably be out in the next week or so, and, and hopefully I can do a couple more before... Uh, the tour resumes because uh, I like speaking. I've been told I speak sometimes a little too much. Um, it's a bit of fun for me, and it's just something to to stay in touch not only with you know other people on the tour, but um, just to keep you active and and um, and keep your mind from wandering. Sometimes it wanders a little too much. Well, good for you. Best of luck with it, and I look forward to having a listen to that. And uh, thanks very much for joining us on on the Tennis Podcast Hour Show. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks very much, guys. So, Catherine, John's up for being on the boat. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah, I mean, the attitude expressed there is exactly why I think um, my my dad would be keen to... I think first mate has even been discussed uh, on the Whitaker WhatsApp chat because he's just up for it and with with absolutely no ego at all. No expectations of being amazing at it, but he'll give it his all, uh, and and he's yeah co- committed and up for it. I think yeah, that's makes him eligible. He's also up for it without having any idea what it actually is. <laughs> that, was, that was what amazed me about it. He just seemed to embrace the whole concept immediately. Yeah, he started talking about. Uh, Sort of as soon as you mentioned just the idea of being on a boat with some some bloke that he's never heard of, the, some some woman's dad, 
he's starting to talk about participating in competitive racing, competitive <laughs> sailing. That was his first thought. Like, yeah, I've not really done it much before. I wasn't very good at it last time I did it. But sure, I'll take part in uh, in a in a competitive yacht race with David Whitaker. I'm up for it. Splendid. I'm sure David Whitaker's up for it too. Ah, good stuff. And he, and he's you know he's firmly behind Nick Kyrgios as being part of the crew somewhere. So. On, it sounds like on a city cat in in Brisbane, uh, which my dad will know well, having lived in Brisbane and commuted to work on a city cat every day for a couple of years. So um, I, I, yeah. I I ended that call just thinking, well, John Millman is just exactly what I thought he was as a as a person, and uh, you know, thoroughly decent fellow, very straightforward, gives everything he's got. And that'll do. Yeah, all of the attributes that make him boatworthy. There's absolutely no side to him, is there? No. He's he's just John Millman. Indeed. So, anything else we need to cover, folks? The sensation. Uh, yes. Too right. The sensation, <laughs> yeah, John Millman as You described. didn't ask him about being a sensation. Well, uh, if anybody doesn't know what this is about, uh, one of our Australian broadcast colleagues described John Millman as a sensation. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it just goes without saying. I don't think I need to put put it to him. To I think he'd be too bashful and too, too shy to actually say anything about it. But uh, we all know he is one. Um, so... Uh, thank you, John, for coming on the show. It was great to hear from him. Uh, we'll be back again with another podcast in a couple of days' time. I mean, the, the podcasts are coming out your ears, like literally, because that's what they do. Um, and uh, the next one will feature our full interview with Pam Shriver. Next week, we're already planning the worst of week. Imagine that. We've got a themed week called worst of week and i mean every week has been themed that yeah and it'll <laughs> it'll, it'll feature but we're going to make it official it'll feature folks it'll start on monday with the worst of our predictions since we started eight years ago and i mean there are a lot of contenders matt you spent the whole day unearthing gems didn't you I have had so much fun doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm very lucky that I've only come in in the last eighteen months, and I, I, you know I've made some howlers in that time. But you two have eight years worth of howlers. <laughs> so I'm going to take an absolute hammering. Me too. It's great. I'm bracing myself. So look forward to that, folks. Uh, our worst predictions coming your way on Monday. Pam Shriver on Friday. But for us, for now, here on the Tennis Podcast, thanks for listening. We'll speak to you soon. 